Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 50. My name is Chris Penninger, and I am joined today on this Spy Wednesday by my co-host and Scola Brola, Mike Strauss, and today we have a most special guest. Is it possible in the Novus Ordo Mass today to incorporate more traditional elements? Can a mutual enrichment of the two forms of the Roman Rite be realized? Hailing from the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan, our special guest today has been working incredibly hard on answering that question. She is an accomplished and incredibly talented musician, singer-songwriter, and public speaker who has served the church in a variety of ways, but currently is serving in the music ministry at her parish. Recently, she attended a conference on Gregorian chant and sacred music, and it inspired her to begin sharing the richness of chant with her parish, and she has begun sharing this journey with the world with her new podcast called Take a Chance on Me. Here to talk about her journey and how you too might be able to introduce your parish to the beauty of the church's sacred music, we welcome Gwen Christian. Welcome to the podcast, Gwen. Thank you so much for having me. I've been excited about this for days. Yeah, us too. Us too. We've been we've been talking about this for a while. I know, uh, especially when you announced that you were going to be doing a podcast, I was immediately I was like, "I'm going to love this. This is going to be so good." So when you Aww, finally released nice. it, I was like, <laughs> so pumped, so pumped. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask first, like, how are how are you guys holding up? there in Lansing, Michigan, like with the whole suspension of the mass and stuff, do you guys still have access to the other sacraments and things like that? Or like, what's the situation there? Well, I feel like I'm not a good representation of my diocese because as a musician, I'm still privileged to attend mass. Um, Our parish has some sisters of Mary mother of the Eucharist, Dominican sisters. So Sundays it's the four sisters, our pastor, my husband and myself. And um, the first Sunday that we had mass and it was closed to the public. uh, I, I have never felt so unworthy receiving communion in a whole different way. I was just sobbing. Like, who am I that I'm still able to receive when so many people cannot and it has in in an individual way to me being able to still attend it's it's been a profound heightening of awareness of oh my gosh what a gift this is so we're doing okay yeah i i have not been able to get to confession which i mean i already did it early in lent but i would really like to go <laughs> you know living in a house with my husband and just the two of us. I have plenty of things to think about <laughs> anger and impatience and, you know, um, but I don't go with my pastor. So it's been tricky. I'm, there are still some priests that are doing drive through confessions outdoors. Yeah. Uh, but the one that I'm certain of is like 20 minutes from me and we just haven't had a chance to get out there. So I'm, I'm still hopeful, but okay. the mm-hmm. majority across our diocese, the sacraments are not being celebrated publicly. Right. Um, I don't think there's been a bring the hammer down on anointing of the sick being stopped, but, uh, which is good. <laughs> our past, our pastor is really yeah. very cautious. He suspended public masses before the Bishop 
made it a diocesan policy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? So, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for us, I mean, we, we've spent like the past, like three podcasts talking about it, but I mean, in our diocese, yeah, there's no, there's no mass, there's no mm-hmm. confession. Um, there was, there was even, there was even blowback against priests doing live streaming of mass. Only two parishes were originally allowed in the whole diocese what? to live stream mass. Allowed? Yeah. Allowed. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was actually uh, an instruction not to live stream without permission. Huh. That yeah, recently, I think, they backed off on. Yeah. But interesting. Yeah. There was a huge uh, outcry <laughs> against that. Now, yeah. other sacraments, um, our pastor has... Uh, announced that those coming into the church through RCA this year, they're hoping to do it at a, as a, at a Pentecost vigil okay, rather cool. than the Easter vigil. Um, I do have some friends who are going forward with their weddings with yeah. just immediate family. And then we've had at least one funeral at our parish where they opted to have a graveside service for now mm. and are going to have a memorial mass later. Yeah, And that's, that's tough too. That but, is tough. That is tough. But I mean, Mm -hmm. even there was a recent uh, news article that came out and I think it was Newfoundland that was talking Mm -hmm. about how there was a funeral held at a funeral uh, home. And, you know, there was a number of people there and the the virus just took off from there and just infected the entire community, you know, so there there was an article roaming around Facebook this week about a choir that had practiced yeah. and like two members of the choir have died and a bunch of them are, are sick. And yeah. I saw that one. I mean, just thinking yeah. about what would that be like if it was me and my parish choir, we have a quite a generational expanse. We're very fortunate in that regard, but um, there were a few like sweet little old ladies in our choir who were, sort of defiant about not coming to mass. And that was part of the reason our pastor decided to suspend them publicly mm-hmm. because he had said, you know, your, dis- your obligation is dispensed. If you're over this age, please stay home. Yeah. And he said it was those people more than anyone else were like, I'm coming no matter what. I don't <laughs> yeah. care if I die. Yeah. And the pastor was like, okay, well, I guess I have to. <laughs> yeah. I can't suggest this to you because you're not going <laughs> to listen to me. Yeah. yeah. That's but um, I, I, for me to imagine, what would it be like if those sweet little ladies got sick mm. in my choir? It would be devastating. So yeah. I, I am grateful. And, you know, I know there are people who disagree with things that our pastor has done and been angry with things he says or whatever. But mm. the contact that I have had with him I'm able to just see in his face and in his eyes, like he's carrying a heavy burden Yeah. and his mm-hmm. responsibility and his discernment. Like I don't, I don't envy him having that on his shoulders and whether I agree with everything he does or not, which of course I don't um, it's, it is his authority and I'm going to respect that and prayerfully support him because there's enough people that are sending an angry emails, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that is it's true. Not, it's not so. Maybe maybe we can switch gears here. So, sure. 
So maybe can you tell us a little bit about uh, for yourself, a little bit about your musical background and what led you eventually to start looking at Gregorian chant? Sure. Um, well, music's always been a really important part of my life. I grew up in a really musical family. Like uh, my mom has somewhere around 26 first cousins and every Christmas day we would be singing Christmas morning mass in four part harmony as a family. Oh, wow. So like, that's how I grew up. Wow, um, that's amazing. And <laughs> it, is, it is a precious and wonderful gift that I really treasure all those memories. Um, my high school experience, I was involved with a really prestigious choir program in my public high school. We won best in state my senior year and all the way through high school, I was pursuing a career in opera. I was the trajectory of my life was to study classic vocal performance in college. Um, and at the same time, I was experiencing a real deepening in my faith. And I eventually decided to go to Franciscan University to study catechetics and theology rather than go to music school. And at the time, my family was really upset. My voice teacher was very upset. <laughs> and it was sort of like, Abraham putting Isaac on the altar, you know, I was like, this is the most important thing to me aside from you, Lord. So, okay. I don't know why you don't want me to go to music school. Um, and then since going to Franciscan, I've worked in a variety of parish capacities, but I wound up now I just do music. And so last summer, just for funsies, because I am sort of a unicorn at our parish. There is like an earlier mass where we have a lot of folks who are part of the local charismatic community and the music that they're used to and love is what we use there. And then we have an 11 o'clock mass, which is sort of an equivalent to a high mass. We have a full choir. We do um, chanted proper, sometimes in English, but often in Latin. And I am the only person who's in the choir and does nine o'clock. I have a foot in both worlds and I'm very weird in that way. <laughs> um, even our parish music director, like his specialization is medieval music and composition. And oh, he wow. would be the first to admit that he doesn't know a thing about contemporary music, <laughs> but I'm weird. Like I like all of it Yeah, and I'm yeah. everywhere. So uh, our pastor offered to send me to this week long workshop on chant at St. Meinrad Arch Abbey, which is close to Louisville, Kentucky, real, real Southern Indiana. And I was super excited because I just love anything musical, but also <laughs> excited to have a retreat opportunity. Mm. Uh, so I went down there and it was like five days and it was a super deep dive that I'd never done before on chant and sacred music. And what I loved the most about it is that it was just a simple presentation of here's what the church says and here is what the church sings. And it wasn't like, and here's my opinion and here's my agenda. It was just <laughs> the music. And, you know, my, my music director at resurrection, David Stottleman, I love and want to put on a coffee mug, his signature quote, which is no one hears a piece of chant sung well and goes, ew, <laughs> No one. It's true. If it's sung well, like no one can resist the beauty of this when it's executed correctly. So mm. I went to St. Meinrad open 
but still like, eh, whatever. I don't really love this. And I left going, oh no, I really love this. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so were there any big takeaways from that conference that like really stick out to you in your mind? Uh, well, if I put it in a nutshell, it would probably be chant is for everyone. Like, I think a lot of people have an idea in their minds that this is a really difficult form of music that's for elitists or super talented musicians. And the idea that it's actually, if you can just teach people how, it's not that hard. Mm -hmm. And it's a great unif like there's a theological reality too. When you are singing in unison and you are blending your voice with the people around you, that is a re sacramental reflection of our unity as the body of Christ. So to me, it was, there is no reason this shouldn't be a part of every parish. And having taken courses on Vatican II and read every single one of those main documents, like that's what the council is asking for. And we didn't really do it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you kind of you kind of touched on it, um, but why do you think that there's such fear? Like, I know, like for myself and and for Mike, you know, like we've come from that former worship leader kind of background, and I know that back then, mm -hmm. the idea of doing chant was incredibly daunting. Uh, I didn't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. I had heard yeah. whispers that, you know, oh, chant holds pride of place, but I didn't really <laughs> understand that. And yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, in your opinion, like, why do you think there's such a fear around the use of chant in the liturgy today? Well, conjecturing off the top of my head, uh, the first thought would be, a fear that it is boring maybe because I've heard, I had heard chant sung kind of poorly before my parish developed that um, robotic and the principal seemed to be saying this as slowly as possible. There wasn't a lot of musicianship there. And so I think on one sense, there's a fear of, well, people, this isn't going to resonate with people. This isn't going to connect because it's so boring. Um, and the other side of that is, well, will, will people even understand it? And I think what the council was calling for, and then fast forward to all of the technological availability we have now to teach this and make it approachable. It's just ridiculous that we're not doing a better job of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very true. To me, it was like, it was like a secret passageway to be taught. Okay. Then the compositions are this way because they are revealing the meaning of the text. They are reinforcing what's happening in the liturgy. Like, this is so super cool. It's like our own secret language on top of our secret church language of Latin. Like the music <laughs> is amazing. Mm -hmm. And once mm -hmm. that door is opened, you, you can get over your fear really quickly. I, I did in a matter of five days. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so 
with when you went off to that conference, was your parish already doing chant at that point or not yet? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, our choir would often use Father Samuel Weber's English chanted propers. Um, and then the years are kind of bleeding together. But this year we've done, I think it's the communion antiphon in Latin every Sunday. So, you know, that principle about boiling a frog, like yeah. if you toss the frog <laughs> into boiling water. We, we put the frog into a pot of water a few years ago. We started doing chanted entrance antiphons in English just for Advent and Lent. And every year they kind of turn the temperature up a little bit. <laughs> so I love it. I love it. It's that law of gradualism, apparently. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um. And before you know it, everyone's like, where'd that altar rail come from? (laughs) Honey, you should say that because we're, we're in the process of getting renovations reapproved and going to be doing some updating in our sanctuary. Nice. (laughs) But I I think a part of the, another reason for that gradualism was to give the musicians time Mm. to learn that new skill set because it is really different from contemporary music and it's different from what our choir is used to doing, you know, singing Mm -hmm. choral music and four part harmony. That's a whole different anyway, but they, as time has gone on, they've become better able and much more confident in Wednesday night, picking up a piece of chant and then executing it on Sunday. Yeah. So. That's awesome. So were there any, were there any hangups or pushback that, that you received from that at all? Um, well, I have the benefit of not being the music director at the parish, so I am not <laughs> often the target mm. for blowbacks that, that falls to <laughs> David and to our pastor. Yeah. And uh, that's that kind of the bliss of my life. But um, <laughs> I know that there are some folks who would identify themselves as charismatic, who just get uncomfortable, especially if they don't have a translation of the Latin in front of them. Mm. And sometimes it's just they want to sing. And I get that. Like, my brother-in-law belongs to the Latin mass community in Grand Rapids. And we, when we went for my niece's first communion, they ran out of missiles. So my husband and I had no idea what was going on and we didn't have translations and I couldn't sing anything. And as a musician, I was like, hmm, yeah. okay, I'm a little sad right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I can relate to that. Um, but it, that's another area of formation that we need to work on. We need to teach people that participation can be active listening. Singing is not the only Mm. form of participation. Anyway. Yeah. Hopping off of that. Yeah. Because I think that's another. Yeah. That that's one of the biggest, I would say hurdles for coming from like a more charismatic or, I don't know, contemporary background mm-hmm. or what we, we typically, typically call like a novus ordo mindset, which is like, I have to be physically involved singing and always doing the responses in order to really uh, fully consciously and actively participate in the liturgy. Um, yeah. But have you found like Gregorian chant and, and incorporating that is helping the people 
and facilitating that space for their own prayer in the liturgy? I definitely think so. Um, this year in particular, my, what I would call my contemporary ensemble, we have done an English chanted communion antiphon every time our group has had the nine o'clock mass. And folks have come up to me who would call themselves charismatic and said, oh, I just loved it. I love that you did it in English so I could understand it. And part of me is kind of slapping my forehead. Like <laughs> we have the Isaac Jokes missile in the pew. Like they have side by side Latin and English. Yeah. I don't know why people, whatever. But <laughs> at the same time, it was very encouraging to me that in this way, we were sort of warming people up to it. Mm -hmm. And so there is a beauty in, in singing and harmonies and participation. And I love that, but there's also a beauty. And this is something that I've especially witnessed in our children's school. And we started this school year having Wednesdays, uh, our Wednesday mass with our kids is chanted mass. That's amazing. And the kids have mass three days a week. So one of those days they have chant. And I have watched from the choir loft that they may not be singing as loudly as they do on other days, but they don't fidget as much. Like I watch after communion, after the, because we sing a, an English antiphon and then we'll sing a Latin communion hymn. And at the end, as Father's purifying the vessels, the kids are still. It's so quiet. And I really mm. like, I'm like watching the profound effect that this has of quieting their mind, quieting their hearts and helping them to enter into the stillness of prayer. And that's a practice that I, I have found even at home, if I'm having my personal prayer time and I'm finding myself fidgety, I'm not going to turn on United Pursuit. I'm going to turn on Hildegard of Bingen because then I will <laughs> mellow. And it enhances mm -hmm. my ability to sustain my attention in prayer. So. Mm. Does that answer your question yes. or am I just babbling? Yeah, no, that 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 perfectly <laughs> exemplifies, I think, for Mike and I too, I don't know, I think that exemplifies our experience. It's yeah. it's something that, you know, maybe, you know, the first few times you go, it's it's different. But once you get into that rhythm, it mm. like it just makes that space for prayer. And um yeah, and and you can have the opportunity not to be really distracted as much, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I totally, agree. I kind of experienced it from the pews at, uh, the Nova Sordo as well when I was going in Kitchener to, uh, a parish there. And, uh, they, they did a little bit of chant. They have an exceptionally good choir at this church. And, uh, this guy who he's choir director and is an amazing organist is really kind of the driving force pushing a bit of um, a little bit of chant and a little bit of polyphony there. But yeah, I totally experienced the same thing whenever they would usually during communion, they would do a chant sometimes in Latin Sometimes they would do like um, some polyphony, sometimes in Latin too, but both of those, like, um, it was almost like the whole mood of the mass changed for me. And I 
it was so much easier to get into the headspace of the reality of the mass. Um, you know, being side by side with the saints and angels and stuff, just, yeah. When I went to St. Meinrad for that week-long workshop, it was not just an experience of the music, but it was really a retreat for me. And it was on the heels of, I'd had a miscarriage a few months before. My husband and I have been married almost seven years and we've had two miscarriages and we have no uh, living children. And for months after that miscarriage, I would show up and I would sing, but my heart was not in it. And there were even moments where I was singing words and inside my mind saying to God, like, I don't even mean these words. Like, I'm really angry with you. And I really resent that you're making me sing this crap for other people when it's <laughs> not true in my heart. And I just didn't want to listen to any of the music that I usually love. And I got to St. Meinrad and it was like the only thing that could penetrate and heal my heart from that miscarriage was the beauty of, of chant and listening to the med- the Benedictines there sing Liturgy of the Hours. And I, I was stunned. Like, oh, I've loved all these different kinds of music. All my I've sung in choirs. I've loved praise and worship. And yet it was only this that could touch this really deep grief for me. Now, since then, I've regained a lot of joy, like God is good and I like all music. Um, but there is something, there are like some places in my heart that only chant could reach. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's so cool. The, uh, um, I wanted to ask you about this. I, I don't know if you saw, but recently the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, um, which, took over for the Ecclesia Day. Uh, they came out um, adding new optional saints to the calendar and a few new optional prefaces um, to the 1962 Roman Missal. Um, I see this as a possible example of a mutual enrichment kind of thing, like what Pen- Pope Benedict talked about. Um, in, in your mind, like, how can the Novus Ordo be enriched by the traditional Latin mass or vice versa? Like, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. I am a woman who loves to share her opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you know that about me. No, No, I mean, obviously (laughs) like there is, there is a whole world of, I just had a conversation this week with a friend who, was also in the catechetics program at Franciscan. And we talked about how we were missing a huge amount of tools by not knowing, not having a competence in the repertoire of the, of chant. Cause take for instance, Crux Fidelis, the good Friday chant for the veneration of the cross. That poetry is just gorgeous. And using that when giving a catechetical lesson would have been an amazing thing to had have had in our toolbox. And we didn't have it. Um, so now I'm like, okay, like, obviously, this is part of our heritage. This is part of our history. We cannot ignore it. Not to mention the fact that it's gorgeous mm-hmm. and beautiful and true and good. Uh, mm-hmm. But in addition to that, I am losing my train of thought now. 
Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Mutual enrichment. Mutual. Okay. So <laughs> I think that Novus Ordo communities, there should not be a mass that goes by without chant in it, whether it's Latin or not. Like if we're really going to implement what the Vatican Council is calling for, there's no excuse not to have this. And with all the tools we have available to us, there's no reason we can't be forming people so that they understand it and can overcome their intimidation. Um, I had a conversation with uh, another Franciscan alum who's a priest, and I don't know if he does TLM or if he's doing Novus Ordo, but uh, we talked about the idea of discipleship and evangelization and Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples. And at different thresholds, people are open and like the ground is fertile to hear different aspects of the gospel message. So as a musician, I always try to be aware of that and what I'm doing. If I'm going to an alpha meeting or some on-ramp pre-catechumenate, the music that I choose is going to be different points of the gospel message. And if I'm doing music where I'm leading people who have a relationship with Jesus, which, you know, we presume that at mass, then that music is going to emphasize different points of the gospel than it would be to a person who we're trying to on-ramp into faith. And so my secret, like if, if people were to ask me, which not a lot do, but I'll tell you and pretend <laughs> that you asked, um, my personal preference, like I would be completely fine if we stuck to chant and polyphony at mass and outside of mass, we sang praise and worship be contemporary stuff. And I would call it, I would relabel it as devotional music because the church isn't only hierarchical or only liturgical. We're, we also have a charismatic dimension. And I, I think rather than pit those things against each other, we should find ways to make room for both. And I do, I have friends who go to TLM mass on Sunday and they're listening to praise and worship during the week. Mm -hmm. And that there is something about giving a language to the cry of the heart and that individual relationship that there's some really beautiful stuff out there that mm -hmm. can give words to, or a launching pad for personal prayer. So I, I would like to see more bridges built and more like, Hey, there's room for it. Mm. And I don't think we have to debate even like, should this music be at mass? We can just talk about, well, what about having this music for devotional purposes outside of mass? And, and that was one of the things that I had to overcome, to be honest with you, Chris, like a lot of the people that I knew that were big into chant sort of looked down their noses at anything that wasn't chant. Mm. And I didn't appreciate that attitude. And I was sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm a rebellious person. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, if you're going to be such a jerk about it, like, I'm, 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 I'm. and to your credit, I would always say to Billy, I'm like, you know, so many people are jerks about this, but Chris has never been a jerk. So like <laughs> when you asked me yes. if I would come on your show, I was like, <laughs> yes, I will. Because on the list of people I knew who were a traditionalist, you were maybe the only one that I wouldn't have called a jerk. Oh, good. <laughs> at that time. Yeah. So, yay. Yay you for were the you best at keeping a secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only you knew. If only you knew. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> I never had an experience of you that I would have called negative. So, 
I'm glad. I'm I'm really glad about that. Um, but I mean, I think Mike and I come from a similar experience as you, um, because like I said, we're, we're former worship leaders and, um, like we have, we even have a podcast where we talk about, uh, it was called trads at a metal festival because Mike and I went off to a metal festival, you know, and, and we don't necessarily see an issue with that. Um, Mm -hmm. and it flies in the face of a lot of traditionalists, um, but it is what it is. And it's part Mm -hmm. of our journey and, (laughs) and, um, you know, obviously, um, praise and worship and that kind of stuff is also an integral part of that journey. It helped, I think, give me, uh, in a, in a personal way, it gave me, uh, language to be able to pray with. Um, yes. to be able to express love for God with, um, I'm a Carmelite. Everybody knows that. Um, but the, you know, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with the flowery language of praise and worship at times when they're like, Oh, they're talking to him. Like he's their boyfriend. I'm just like, yes. Yeah, so what? John of the cross did it too. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> That's always been a part of my prayer life. Like I would experience my relationship with God as I would have used the word romantic. I still would in the sense of like the beauty of creation in order to draw my heart to him. There was one time at Franciscan, I had a Friday morning, 2 a.m. Holy hour at the perpetual adoration chapel. And as I was leaving, like I was asking God at that time, like, would you please fill my need for pursuit and romance since there's not a man in my life right now. (laughs) And I was leaving the chapel, like looking down at the sidewalk, it's three in the morning and I hear a rustling and, you know, immediately my mind's like, Oh, serial killer. So I look up (laughs) and, and there's like a family of deer all around me and they're looking at me, but they're not bolting. And I'm just standing there and and I swear to you, I heard the Lord say, you are my princess. <laughs> like, like, Disney princess. Like, the animals are not running away. And I was just, oh. So, that's always been part of my relationship with God. But there, I mean, it's not just praise and worship that has words for that sort of thing. If you no. look at the translation of Isu Dulcis Memoria, like, that is also it's all good. And that's why on the podcast, I have a segment called Sunday Playlist, mm-hmm. where I take the chant of the week and either the direct text itself or themes that are found in it. I talk, okay, now here's music and other genres that might hit that home for you in a different way. And being an eclectic music lover, I like all of it. And it's just reinforcing it and looking at it from a fresh angle and yeah. Music is great. <laughs> yeah. I actually really kind of appreciated that about your podcast because I think when you were talking um about building those bridges, I think that's a great way to do it. Um, you know, I I can tell you I was going to Bethel praise and worship nights at the same time as I was going to the TLM on Sundays, you know. Um so you know, I think there is that pot potential of, yeah. uh, you know, having having a little bit of that both and for sure, mm-hmm. you know. 
And um, what's more Catholic than a both and mentality? Mm-hmm. I ask you. No, I, I, I mean, you've got to be able to have a more balanced approach for sure. And not just be just completely willing to throw the, the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I had a conversation this, this past week with a friend of mine who was asking about, you know, the charismatic renewal and, and baptism in the Holy Spirit and all these things. And he, you know, it was a traditional guy and he was asking me about it because he knew <laughs> he's like, you were charismatic. You, you know, you know, all this stuff. Um, so I was able to kind of explain stuff to him, you know, from mm-hmm. that, from that perspective. But ha- having had feet in both worlds, I, I have a kind of a unique unicorn experience for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, the gentleman that is helping me with editing my podcast is out in San Diego. And when we first talked about working together, like we've never met in real life, but we were describing the culture at our parishes and found it to be very similar. Like they also have a pocket of charismatic folks in their parish and they have chant. And I have to credit my pastor with allowing those things to coexist and, and, setting that example of not pitting those forms of music against each other, but emphasizing what's good about each one of them, what's edifying about them. And I, and at the same time, Josh and I, when we were talking about it said, you know, we're really very fortunate because the coexistence of those things is not the norm in parishes in the United States or anywhere else that we're aware of. And my brother-in-law, who goes to a a TLM parish in Grand Rapids, he calls it a unicorn. Like, that we have a Novus Ordo mass with plenty of well-executed chant is really hard to find in his mind. I'm like, oh, because it's just normal life for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm at our parish. I mean, the... We're, we're in a family of parishes. And so our TLM is, is just kind of been slowly integrated because we were kind of a nomadic community that went from mm-hmm. parish to parish wherever we, we were allowed yeah. to be essentially. Um, but where we've kind of found our home now is, you know, the main pastor is, is a very popular charismatic priest, uh, mm-hmm. in our diocese. And, um, yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't caused any, uh, he hasn't pitted us against the other charismatics in the parish or anything like that. It's, it's been a, it's been a good experience mm-hmm. that way. So we're, we're blessed um, that way, but um, kind of coming to the question of, you know, your experience and, and whatnot. Um, let, I, I had a, I had a scenario to ask you about. Let's okay. say you're a fairly good musician who's involved in your local parish's Novus Ordo music ministry, and you want to try to incorporate chant into the mass. Um, what advice would you give to someone who may want to do that? Uh, well, aside from the easy answer of going to a chant workshop, like the one St. Meinrad has, hmm. I would tell them to start slow Um like a great on-ramp is just teaching the ordinaries. And during Lent and Advent, that's what we do at our parish. Every mass is singing a cappella, um, just the simplest, everybody knows it, Latin mass parts. 
and and only turning up the temperature a little at a time. There are so many resources out there now. Uh, like I said, we use Father Samuel Weber's Sunday Proppers in English. And what's what is really great about his book is that the antiphon he has in progressively more complicated melody lines. There are four different settings for every antiphon. So you could use the most basic, simple thing. And I think we use like level two of the four when we do the chanted entrance antiphons um, in English at our parish, which we do during uh, Advent and Lent now. Uh, but I think, if, especially if you can start simple, starting with like psalm tones rather than real melismatic stuff, it's it's not as hard as you think it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very true. I mean, Mike and I, uh, I think we both have the experience of like, yeah. we went to learn yeah. chant and we're like, oh, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And nothing has been a greater yeah. experience of that than teaching the children's scola, which uh, we started in August. We ha- we handpicked like 10 kids that are third through fourth or third through fifth grade. So they've had first communion, but they're not in middle school yet. They're this perfect little pocket of cooperating and knowing mass. <laughs> and, and to teach them, like we had 45 minutes a week with them, just little nuggets at a time. Once you know how to read square notation and you know solfege, those kids, we would bring them in. We'd have a new melody written on the board and they would figure out the solfege for the whole thing, like a game. And at the end of class, they'd learned a new melody. Like they walked in the door, they wrote out the solfege and they're singing Ubi Caritas by the time they, there is amazing. And to me, that was a reinforcement of, okay, grownups can do this too. And we've seen a growth in confidence. I, I am right now we're talking about having some workshops after morning masses, whenever if ever we resume having daily mass at our parish, just like little bits at a time to help people to feel more confident because usually once they know this is why it's the way it is and this is how it works and this is how you read it. They go, Oh, I I have yet to meet someone who's like, Oh, this is even more hard than I thought. I can't do it. Once you teach them, it, it clicks after a while. And so I just think we need to do a better job of teaching. And I know there are some resources out there. There are like CC Watershed has a YouTube series. um, I use them a lot. I'd like to see even more. And I've thought about it, but you know, I've got, Mm -hmm. I have all kinds of ideas and projects that are (laughs) noodling around. And I'm like, okay, Lord, not just do you want me to do this, but when do you want me to do (laughs) this? (laughs) So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh yeah, in terms of resources, I mean there are so many so many good resources out there, even YouTube videos and and apps yes. like you can get uh like there's chant tools, I think it's what it's called on the iPad. Um Two of the brothers who developed chant tools are members at my parish. No way. Really? Yes. The famous <laughs> Bloomfield boys. And and I really I should give a shout out to Will Bloomfield because he took the time to come over to my house and spend an hour teaching everybody in my contemporary ensemble how to read chant. Like that's amazing. And he was he was wow. like 
Number one, not jerk traditionalist is Chris Pinnegar. <laughs> number two is Will Bloomfield. <laughs> Will was so kind and so generous and patient. And um, he had started doing that before I went to chant camp. So it oh, was wow. it was like a warm up experience for me. I was like, I still don't love this, but thank you for <laughs> at least helping me overcome my intimidation. My my biggest thing was making the switch from modern notation to square because I wanted so much for the mm. lines on the staff to, like this should be F and trying to plunk it out on the piano. I yeah. just went cross-eyed so many times yeah. the sight of like square notes. I was like, ah, but <laughs> after a year or two there, you reach a point where it clicks just like riding a bike and it doesn't yeah. scare me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know like in our scola, like Mike and I are just the, the singers, you know, there, there's other guys that are the, you know, the pianists and whatnot. And, and they're the ones that are like, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure this out and, you know, go up a fifth note or whatever. And you're just like, what is happening right now? Just tell, just, just sing it and I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you know? We're just kind of like, yeah, I'll follow it by ear once I hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Cast the time. But. What I mean, once you know that your was mode. basically <laughs> that's like um David the cantor is always talking about modes. It's like, <laughs> I gotta get used to this mode. <laughs> but, I have um, I, I reach a mental point where like yeah. the mode it calibrates and I lock into it. Yeah. But until I get there, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> the time it takes to calibrate is getting shorter. Yeah. So that's encouraging. But when I first started learning chant and I was not able to, like, this isn't modern notation, Gwen. Just yeah. I would get so overwhelmed and I felt really intimidated, even though I've been a musician for more than 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, it was so exciting. Like, here is this whole new world that I can learn about that I didn't know before. And if you can approach mm -hmm. it that way, like this is a musical adventure, mm -hmm. then it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's actually fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's, and it really is, you know, it is an adventure and it's a challenge, you know, um, like Mike and I were talking about this, I think before about how, you know, when you get together with a bunch of guys and you're, and you're drinking beer and you're singing chant and it's it's one of the most manly things because especially with those those crazier graduals that come out you're just like oh my gosh like this is a challenge you know and um but like once you get it and you nail it it's just such like you just feel so accomplished you know? yes yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so true yeah yeah, so it's good to have a like a good group of friends and make it like that experience of learning it together. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's kind of the the cool experience of our school is that like we're all really good friends and we get together and like the majority of the guys are all like homebrewing beer so they're all like all talking about beer and all trying the new beers that they've been making and just and then just mm -hmm. okay let's 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 get into the propers let's go do it you know so um yeah it's just it's just great <laughs> we have a we have quite a spirit of camaraderie in our parish choir 
And there is still a Scola that'll do. We have Vespers and Compline. Once a month, they do extraordinary form Compline at our parish. So we are That's we awesome. are really a unicorn. I you guys really just, are. <laughs> I should just like admit that because I keep wanting. No, it's like this everywhere. Actually, no, we're weird. Um, but we have members who sing in those schools who aren't even Catholic. Oh, wow. but they just love the friend that I went to chant camp with. We call it chant camp. Um, she had been going for a couple of years before she joined the Catholic church. She fell in love with chant before she fell in love with Catholicism and the joy of nerding out over something with Lori has been one of the greatest like friendship gifts that the Lord's given me in the last couple of years. So we don't sit around talking about homebrew beer, but (laughs) we do still have that buddy. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, Awesome. So uh, I wanted to ask kind of as a, as a wrap up question. So um, like I said, at closer to the beginning of the podcast, like you and I met when we were involved at, um, in the music ministry at Franciscan. Um, and I don't know about you, but ever since attending Franciscan, um, my love, especially for the Triduum, but in particular for Easter Vigil has just, I just absolutely, it's the highlight of my year in liturgically yeah. speaking, you know, obviously the subsequent resurrection party after vigil on campus was <laughs> helped with that. Um, but knowing that campus and most of the world is going to be silent this year is kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, how are you guys as a family planning on celebrating Triduum and entering into the joy of Easter this year? Uh, well, again, it's, I'm probably not a great representation of even my parish because as a musician, I will still be there. Uh, we haven't hammered out all the details yet, but I imagine having one, two, maybe as many as four voices for say the good Friday service, like the lonesomeness of that, sparse amount of musicians will just emphasize a different aspect of the Lord's passion, you know, and there's still enough like beauty in the music that we are doing. Our, our parish music director has written a phenomenal Psalm cycle of all the Psalms for the Easter vigil. And we have been live streaming mass for a long time. So our parish is still going to be able to participate in that. Um, for me and Billy, my birthday's on Easter Sunday. Oh, wow. <laughs> this wow. is the third time in my life that Jesus is coming back for me. Happy birthday <laughs> to me. Um, so we're, you know, we're going to have a big fancy meal and, and celebrate here at home. Yeah. And I just think mm. that it's, it's a necessary part of the Christian life to defiantly pursue joy. And Mm. that doesn't diminish the seriousness of the situation in the world. It's just like Jesus is still available. (laughs) Even if we can't receive him sacramentally, like it's not like he's gone. (laughs) It's not Mm. like there is no joy to be found. And so I, without forcing it or trying it to be like artificially exuberant, I'm just going to ask the Lord to give me a spirit of defiant joy. Mm. And, and then as a musician, 
I know music can be consoling for people. So it's my intention, whatever degree I'm able to sing to, to just be praying for anyone who listens. I know that it can be consoling to actively receive through listening, even if it's live stream and not a physical presence in the pews. So I just, I know it's going to be different, but I, I'm not letting myself make an agreement with the idea that it won't be joyful still. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. That's, that's, that's great. Maybe, maybe um, piggybacking off of that. I know like you've been doing live streams where you're going, you know, into the church and you're uh, playing praise and worship on live stream. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen the comments, but like maybe like, what you can share like what's what's been the the feedback on that uh well i i think a biggest group of people from our parish who are loving it are the moms who are at home with their kids um i've gotten several videos from moms like showing me their kids singing along and because they're used to seeing me every week for school mass this is a little bit of normalcy and a little bit of routine coming back in. And uh, this Friday, our diocese is having a day of prayer and fasting, and they're going to have live streamed events throughout the diocese. We are going to have sung chanted morning prayer at resurrection. And I'll be leading that. And I just, there is such a, it does. It's not the same as being there physically, but there is still such a gift of consolation in some aspects of normalcy like there's still daily mass going on father is still there i'm still doing music and so to be able to give them as much as we can of what they're accustomed to and then the power of the beauty of the music itself i think is really soothing to people i've had folks from ireland and scotland who are watching this uh someone told me that they saw bishop rica who is in Saginaw, but just was appointed to go down to Birmingham, Alabama. I knew him before he was appointed a bishop, but not very well. But I guess he was watching one day and um, (laughs) I got a message from a lady. I don't even know her, but uh, her, she has a contact at our parish and she was going in for surgery for breast cancer right after my live stream. So that was the last thing she was going to do before going into surgery was to sing along with me and wow. wow, what a, what a gift and what a privilege to be able to do that. And we, we have done like, we'll do four days a week of praise and worship. And then on Fridays we do chant, chant and hymns. So I'm hmm. from now on going to be a little bit of both kind of person. <laughs> That's hmm. awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Well, that that brings us basically to the end. So um, can you maybe share with our friends where they can find you and your awesome podcast? Sure. Um, on Facebook, you can find our page at facebook.com forward slash chant podcast. Um, and the same on Patreon. I don't have a full blown website for, for the podcast yet, but that'll be coming soon. And nice. the podcast is everywhere. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and Google and all the places. So. Sweet. That's great. Awesome. Gwen. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast and it's been an honor to catch up and to uh, have you share what you're doing 
with the, with, with our audience. Cause I think there's a lot of people that need to know about what you're doing. So thanks again for, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I got to have you on my show. We'll do it. That sounds wonderful. An exchange. <laughs> <laughs> sounds wonderful. Okay. Well, um, all right, everybody. So again, thank you again to Gwen for joining us. And thank you uh, to all our friends for listening to today's podcast. Uh, we're really glad that you were able to take some time to hang out. Uh, if you've not yet, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. And please be sure uh, to leave a review if that is possible. Um, if you're on social media, uh, we would love for you to give us a like and a follow. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Theology of the Buddy, or you can email us at uh, theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. All of our show notes and links can be found at theologyofthebuddy.com, including our affiliate link with Tumblr House, which is a great source for Catholic literature. Uh, next week, we're officially collecting our thoughts and getting back into our liturgical breakdown series. Make sure you're subscribed so you'll know when it comes out. Episodes are released every Wednesday. So until then, stay, stay tready. tready. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>